God has given me an unexpected opportunity to add a little PS to our two-week Philippians 2 series. I guess you could kind of think of this as final, final thoughts. Since last week I gave the final thoughts, this is sort of the final, final thoughts. Uh, kind of a <laughs> revised, there you go, a, uh, a, a PS regarding the attitude, the actions of Christ as servant that we learned about from that great chapter and living those out in our own lives. And then we will conclude this morning with, uh, with our youth and uh, Justin and Rachel coming up to share about the chick experience that, that they were a part of earlier this summer. Incredible experience, chick. And uh, excited for them to come up and share and as well as lead us in some music that they uh, learned there. Ramez Atala tells a story about when he was the general director of the Bible Society. He had attended the Lausanne Conference in Switzerland. Christian leaders, he said, had come from all over the world. He said it was just an electrifying time, hanging out with all of these folks who were, they were, they were heavy hitters. They were big leaguers from big Christian organizations around the world. He said it was just thrilling to share and, and read interesting papers on important topics. He said, but the most meaningful insight from that experience came to him on his plane ride home. He lived in Canada, so it was a long flight. He had a lot of paperwork to look through. He said, I also had taken a lot of business cards from all sorts of Christian leaders that I had met. We all know, we collect these cards, we put them in our pockets, and then we often forget about them. He said, as I looked through my cards from Lausanne, I noticed one that was not very well printed. And, and I looked at it carefully. He said, I still get emotional when I remember this. He said, it, it just broke me. At Lausanne, we had small groups every night. And about 10 of us met in our dormitory rooms to pray and share together. And the first night, we introduced ourselves. President of a seminary, pastor of a church with 2,000 people, and so on. You know, everybody was was showing how, how great and important they were. I said I led the university movement in the province of Quebec. It was actually a very small ministry, but it sounded good. He said, one African man was with us. And he simply said, I'm a pastor in Kenya. During the week, we all listened to each other. I didn't pay much attention to the pastor from Kenya. I wanted to get close, he said, to the important people. But I was moved by his stories of how God had touched him as a, as a school teacher during the African revival and, and had changed his life. I thought he was a deep man. I, I pictured him working in a humble little village somewhere in Africa. When I picked up his business card on the plane, that card that wasn't very well printed, I discovered that it said, Festo Olang, Archbishop of Kenya. I was stunned. Here was a man who could pull rank on any of us in that group. He was a bigwig. But we didn't know it. More significantly, he didn't tell us. He did not use his position to secure his identity thought how, how perfectly that fits with what we learned from Paul about Jesus and that 
our attitude as followers of Jesus need to be like Him. Paul says, who being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be used to His own advantage or something to be grasped at or something to be clung to. Rather, Paul says he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness. Jesus, the eternal Son, he said, left the glories and the splendor of heaven. He became human. He lived in this broken world and he served broken people and ultimately he died for them. And Paul says, you who are followers of Jesus, you be like that. Be like that. Be like Jesus. Give yourself in service to others. You be like that. In his absence, continue to show to the world who Jesus is. Not in, not in your greatness, which really is not all that impressive, but by having his attitude and understanding yourselves as, as servants of others. And I think we discovered that This is not exactly easy stuff. And the truth is, it's probably not the kind of life that many folks sign up for (laughs) when they decide to be a follower of Jesus. But the irony is that's exactly the kind of life that, that Jesus was calling people to. It's exactly what he had in mind in the Gospels when when he said clearly that anyone who would be his follower must deny themselves take up their cross, and then they follow after him. Paul is simply spelling out for us the mission that was Jesus and the life that he lived. And what we learned in Paul's words, or at least I hope we learned, what we learned in those words to the Philippians is that that the key which will unlock our ability to, to effectively do this to be able to give ourselves as servants despite fears that we will be taken advantage of, despite concerns that people won't appreciate us, despite the very real possibility that in some circles, because of our service and our giving, we may lose some respect from people who are important to us, we will certainly sacrifice personal resources. So in the face of all of those things that well up in our hearts, how do we do this? Paul said the key, the key to doing it is to remember who we are in Christ. We are children of God. We are heirs of God. We are co-heirs with Jesus in the scripture that we've looked at often together in Romans chapter 8. And and nothing, the reality is nothing ever changes that. Nothing. That's the attitude that Paul is referring to that Jesus had. Jesus came in confidence to the earth. He came as the eternal son of God. He lived and he died as the eternal son of God. 
He was raised from the dead and he returned to heaven as the eternal son of God. And guess what? He's still there. And he's reigning as the eternal son of God. And so that little blip on the horizon of his eternal radar screen that we call the incarnation never changed who he was. We've said this, it changed his appearance, it certainly changed his location, but it did not change the essence of who he was. And as followers of Jesus, Paul says, your attitude has to be the same. You have to think correctly about who you are if you are going to effectively become a servant like Jesus. That is his call upon our lives. As followers of Jesus then, we live on this earth as the children of God. We will die as the children of God and we'll experience everything in between our birth as His children and in our death, we'll still be the children of God. And then we're going to live for eternity. And we're going to live, by the way, as brothers and sisters of Jesus the firstborn. And at that point, we're all going to be the eternal sons and daughters of God. And you're looking pretty excited about this. Whoa! Enthusiasm is just blowing me away up here. Woohoo! So then, Paul follows all those things that, that, that we learned and talked about together. He follows all that with the word, therefore. Which we know means that the next few verses and the ideas that flow out of them are tied to where he has just been. So, let's stand and read together. The next few verses from Philippians 2. Our P.S. Final thoughts on the final thoughts. Here we go. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill His good purpose. Do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. My brothers and sisters, this is the word of the Lord. Amen. Go ahead and be seated. The concept of salvation in the New Testament, as I'm sure you are aware of, always carries with it a, a certain time tense. There's the past, there's the present, there's the future. There, there was a time in the past when we, we were saved. We, we surrendered. We made some kind of a commitment to, to surrender our lives to, to the reign of Christ. And, and His grace, actively working in our lives, secured our salvation at that point in time. We were saved. There is also the very real sense in which we continue to be saved in the present. We live our lives on a daily basis as, as saved people. Reality that happened in the past that carries over into the everydayness of our lives. And not only do we live as saved people, 
but we also live as safe people, and, and that pushes us into the future tense, that we will continue to be saved in the future. So we have been saved, we are saved, living as saved people, that doesn't change. We will continue to be saved on into all of eternity. Nothing changes that. When Paul begins here and says, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, those words are all about the present. Paul is not saying anything about working for your salvation. He is talking about working out your salvation. To work for our salvation we know is nonsense because salvation is indeed a gift of God's grace to us. We did not save ourselves in the past and we will not keep ourselves safe for all of eternity. That's God's doing. But what Paul is interested in is our lives, how we live that out. We can demonstrate our understanding of the wondrous gift that salvation is by the way that we live in the present. That's what Paul is saying. And he uses a couple of Greek words that carry the sense of a worker who is is fashioning something that, that will be appropriate or fit for its use fashioning perhaps a a pitcher of water so that it can, in fact, hold water and pour water. That's that's the wording that Paul's saying. He's suggesting that, that we, as God's people, in response to God's grace in saving us, in response to God's promise to keep us safe, we then, actively in this life, which we have some control over in terms of how we live in the life, how we respond to life and its circumstances. What he's saying is, fashion your life. Order your life. Think about your life with this backdrop of Jesus the servant behind everything that you say and everything that you do. Fashion your life in such a way that it demonstrates a fit with the salvation that you talk about. Salvation that is a free gift of God. Then work to be an unselfish person. Work to be a person who gives freely as God has given freely to you. Make sense? That's that's the language that he's using. Fashion, order your life. Create your life as much as you can in terms of your decisions and your activities. Make your life fit the salvation that you believe has happened. And do that, Paul says, with fear and trembling. Fear and trembling. What is that about? Ask your neighbor. Turn to someone and say, okay, why is fear and trembling important in this? Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. What do you think that's about? See what your neighbor thinks. Okay, we're ready? Let's respond. What, what do you think? What, what's the fear and the trembling that, uh, that Paul is referring to here? Kind of, kind of an interesting phrase, isn't it? What do you think? What, what struck your neighbor? <laughs> Rick.
Okay. Okay, okay. Good, good. I like that. Yeah, what else? Andrew. <laughs> okay. How often we approach our lives without a sense of awe. Is that what you said? Awe? Yeah. Come on, Andrew. Get off my toes, will you? <laughs> That's good. Good insight. What else? What else? Yeah, Jason. <laughs> good. 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 How important the task is, and God's glory is attached to that. Excellent. Dixie. that. Ooh. <laughs> yeah, the fear of, of not keeping unsaved people on, on the path that, that, you know, being a, a poor example, you know, all of this, I think, is what is packed into to this little phrase. You guys are right on. Because the, the words that, that Paul uses here, it's, it is that sense of reverent awe. And that trembling is that idea of, wow, this is significant. I can't mess this up. Now, don't answer this, but how often do you think about the seriousness of your salvation? How often do I think about the seriousness of my salvation? In, in our somewhat more relaxed culture, and that's not always a bad thing, I love it. But we tend to, don't we, get a little casual in terms of, our understanding of God's grace and His work in our lives, Paul says, and we add these words, probably should have done it when I gave the phrase to you, but you knew they were there. He says, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to act according to His good purpose. You ever think about your salvation in that way? God is working in me. I mean, He invested deeply in me through the death and the sacrifice of His Son, and then He's given me His Spirit. This is no cheap deal. I meant that in terms of quality. It was very expensive, obviously, but, but the quality is incredible. God working His grace in me. God working in me to will and to act according to His good purpose. It is, it is a reverent concern and awe at who God is and His presence in our lives. This sort of trembling amazement at the thought that He's at work in us to produce the character of His Son. And we are cooperating with Him by obediently taking the attitude and the lifestyle of Jesus that Paul has just referred to. Jesus the servant. Lifestyle of a servant. Knowing that Others are watching us. Others are watching us. They are. 
lose sound. Oh, there we go. With the hands and feet of Jesus, we, we are the presence of Christ in the world. So that means that when people look at us, when people watch us, they're looking at, they're watching Christ. That, my friends, makes me fear and trouble because I screwed up all the time. All the time. Paul's saying, don't, don't forget the seriousness of this. He's saying, don't be casual about your relationship with God. And don't be casual about this mission and this call that he's given us to be like Jesus. For some people, our lives are the first Bible that they read. We must be concerned about what they learn regarding the character of God and the possibility that, that we can easily misrepresent him. That should be a concern. That needs to make us tremble. And so that is the first of our two final, final lessons this morning. We live, we live with the attitude of Jesus, knowing that it must be intentional, that it must be done with purpose, and we do it with a, con- with a, with a trembling concern and fear that we will misrepresent our God. Wow. I think we need, we need to be there, perhaps. I'll speak for myself. I need to be there more than I am. So let's look real quickly at at, at the second final, final lesson. Paul then instructs the Philippians and the Applewood believers, do everything without grumbling so that you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Don't be confused. You know, the fact that we are children of God is, it's a done deal. But children have to grow and mature, and that's what he's talking about. He's talking about grow and become blameless and pure. The emphasis on this, on this command falls on the word everything. We translated everything. It's literally all things. It's actually the first word in the Greek text. All things must be done without grumbling or arguing. Unfortunately, this is another one of those bummer statements in Scripture. You know, all things means, well, <laughs> all things. All things. One commentator says this, most Christians are able to do some things without complaint. It is when we are exhorted to be doing all things with a joyful spirit that the difficulty comes. So true. Complaining reveals a heart that is not really grateful to be a servant like Jesus. It is still coming to the task with those faulty expectations that we talked about together. Don't forget, you know, I complain because I think I deserve better. Jesus certainly deserved better, and we don't find him complaining. I complain because I'm doing that stinking job again. No one has noticed it. No one expresses appreciation. I didn't even get a thank you card. Those are the expectations we bring to our service. And and when we allow ourselves to go down that path, and we have those unrealistic expectations which we talked about together, then before we know it, we've elevated ourselves to a place of importance that we do not deserve. We just don't. We just don't. I don't know how else to say that. We just don't. We need to, we need to be cautious. And if we allow ourselves to go there and elevate ourselves in that way, it's not long before complaining and, and arguing and grumbling and moaning and groaning becomes a normal part of our lives. Paul says, no, don't allow that. So if we really understand the incredible truth of what Paul has taught us concerning Jesus leaving heaven for earth, becoming a servant, 
if we are purposeful about meditating on that example that we have studied together, it will go far, I think, in putting a lid on what comes from our mouths. It really will. For others who are watching our lives, and that's the thing we've got to remember, if we've identified ourselves as a follower of Jesus, we've been bold enough to let people know that we have a faith in Jesus and he's our Lord and we're following after him. Guess what? Bing! You're on their radar screen and they're watching and they're listening. And, and for those who watch our lives, unbelievers and believers alike, there, there's an inconsistency, or I should say in, any kind of an inconsistency between what we say we believe about Jesus and then how we live our lives, what comes from our mouths, it can create just a huge disconnect for people. Again, that goes back to how am I representing the character of God in my life? I say. So that's the second of our final, final lessons. We must think before we speak so that others do not get the wrong message about Jesus. It is a simple truth. It is incredibly difficult takes hard work, takes the, takes the courage to listen to ourselves and hear those words, takes our willingness to repent of what we hear and our desire to surrender to the Spirit of God who empowers us to, to achieve. So, what's the purpose of all this? Well, let's read it together again in conclusion. Melanie, when you have those final two verses, let's read this together so that you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. Is that awesome? Stars in the darkness. Man, the darker it is, the brighter the stars are. When it's really dark, people notice how beautiful the stars are. Let me conclude by telling you the results of a survey that Fuller Theological Seminary did for 16 years. Started in the 90s, ended in 2007. Their School of Intercultural Studies conducted a survey among 750 Muslims who had made conversion to Christianity. They moved from being a Muslim to a follower of Jesus. Those who were surveyed represented 50 ethnic groups from 30 different countries. You want to know what the number one reason that was given by these Muslims for their reason to convert to follow Jesus? Number one reason. They had known Christians who practiced Christians who lived out what they believed. May God give us the grace to be servants like the one that we say we follow. Let's pray together and ask our chick gang to come on up as we pray. And they'll lead us as we conclude this morning. Father, for your goodness and your grace, we thank you. Thank you for your word. It is challenging. It, uh, it hits us sometimes hard between the eyes. Uh, grabs at our heart. Things that are probably good for us. Lord, we thank you for the presence of your Spirit in our lives. Thank you that 
in these exhortations that you call us to, you don't leave us to uh, figure it out and somehow summon up the strength to do it. We surrender. We surrender and we find that your spirit really is present in our lives to empower, to make us aware, to bring change that brings glory and praise to you. That is what we want as followers of Jesus. It's in his name.